But we ask, indeed we invite you to come by your spirit and open these words to us that they might be words of life that lead us more deeply into our life in order to live more faithfully to you. In Jesus' name, Amen. The final part of that reading is the beginning of chapter 5 and it has the words in my, my version, therefore be imitators of God. Being an imitator of God, uh, it's a pretty high calling. It says love, uh, walk in love just as Christ has loved us. Again, a very high ideal. But Paul very kindly breaks it down into some quite simple sorts of steps. Simple, not easy steps. And the first one he, he brings in is to speak truth. Now it's not at first self-evident why speaking truth would be helpful. Um, Like we know that truth is important but we're not very accustomed to people speaking truth. Truth can be very dangerous stuff. It often causes offence. In fact, we like our truth generally in quite small doses and I liken it a little bit to uh, when a person's in hospital, they're sick and suffering pain, they have one of those clickers, they can self-administer pain relief. I think we self-administer truth according to how much we can handle it at the time. We just let it in gently. Whereas often other people are not that gentle with us. They'll bring us truth that we might not be ready to hear. There's a very funny skit, I think, on the interweb. Uh, Mitchell and Webb are British comedians and they do this skit where it's a wedding and the, the groom has just finished saying a speech about the most beautiful woman in the world, which he's referring to his wife, his new wife, of course, and the best man gets up and makes some accidental, casual comment about well, not the most beautiful woman in the world, obviously, and people kind of go, (gasps) he goes, well, come on now. I mean, she's not the most beautiful woman in the world, is she? And there's this moment of speaking a truth, you know, and and this banter that goes on. If you haven't seen it, it's quite funny, and the interaction that happens. But there is a sense in which we constantly speak about things and there's a truth in it, like when he said it's the most beautiful woman in the world, he's speaking an authentic personal truth. To me, she is the most beautiful woman in the world. The best man gets up and said, look, if she was the most beautiful woman in the world, we'd have the paparazzi here and you know, there'd be <laughs> all sorts of things going on. And so how we engage with truth is um, an interesting question because the chairs, so you know, we've got these chairs and some people here are okay with the chairs and some people are not okay about the chairs and some people are very frank about their feeling about the, the chairs and you know, truth can be an, an interesting thing. It can be very dangerous but actually it can be the safest thing of all because when we don't speak about truth, the truth is still there. It's just not being spoken about. And remember we, uh, Psalm 14, a couple of weeks ago, the people who live in dread? And sometimes part of the dread that people live in is they know a truth. It's not being acknowledged or spoken about, but they know it's there. And the dread is that truth comes out. 
And so it's actually much safer to deal in truth. I I know a person who's almost uh, instinctively pathological about hitting the things that will bring out the unspoken truth in any given situation. And this person does that, I think, because they feel safer when the truth comes out. So the person I'm thinking of doesn't like polite conversation very much because behind polite conversation is a whole bunch of things you don't know what the person's really thinking. So this person will, not on purpose, not with a conscious deliberateness, but this instinct towards trying to uncover what's going on, will hone in on the thing that is the non-spoken awkwardness in the conversation and there'll be this moment where it's awkward And this person does it, I think, because they feel safer with the truth. At least tell me what you really think and I'll be okay with that. One of the guidelines with regard to truth, of course, is that love is the important direction of truth. Because we can use truth for good and we can use truth for evil. Like we can really hurt someone with a truth and in one sense it becomes less true when we do it like that. I mean a, 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 a not too close to home example would be the current political entitlements scandal, uh, entitlements or fringe benefits or travel rorting or whatever you want to call it which is happening on all sides of politics at the moment and we can see truth come out so there's an ex- expose of so-and-so's travel costs and you might say well it's good for us to know the truth and then there'll be someone else will bring out the truth of this person's and what's actually going on is not an interest in the truth it's an interest in political gain it's an interest in hurting somebody and we know when we're doing something for good and we know when we're doing something for evil and we can use truth in both of those ways It's very smart that Paul immediately moves from speaking about truth to how to deal with anger. Because wherever you have healthy amounts of truth, there follows healthy amounts of anger, I think. Partly because we're not accustomed to dealing with truth on someone else's terms. Now, every person gets angry, I believe. especially when truth comes out, we can be angry because often we're not wanting truth to come out and we can be angry that someone said something that we didn't want them to say or this kind of thing. And some people are scared of their own anger to the point where they can't admit that they get angry, which is different from not getting angry. So they get angry but they can't admit that they get angry so they become really nice. Have you met people that have been really nice to you but you know they've got a knife just behind their back and you can see in their smile that it's not, something's not quite right and it's often, it's often a sense in which they're not coping well with their own feelings, they don't know what to do with them so they're doing the thing they know is right which is to be nice to people but there's this rage that's starting to, to build and the, the less we acknowledge it the more it can build. So, and some people are very clever at hiding their anger and then it tends to get expressed in a sideways or inappropriate kind of way and I think that's what the sin part is because sin in its kind of classic uh, core meaning is missing the point and the archer fires the arrow if it misses the target 
that's the same kind of idea as sin. So anger has a point. There's a reason we get angry about stuff and when we miss the point, you know, that can be the sin. Because Jesus got angry, God gets angry. So anger in and of itself is not the problem. It's what we do with anger and where anger takes us that can be a problem. Um, Sometimes we fail to direct anger where it should be directed. So something will happen and it will be with somebody and we can't feel we can address that person with our anger and we don't know what to do with it and we'll do something else instead. Uh, The notion of going home from work and kicking the cat. Have you ever, you know, you're so angry, you get home, you slam the door, you kick the cat and stuff has happened and you haven't been able to express your anger in the place where it would rightly be expressed and so you have to displace it somewhere else. And the cat didn't do anything. Well, cats are always doing stuff, but... And we do that, and we do it with people as well. I mean, spouses, poor spouses, they cop so much, both ways, in direct and indirect ways, because stuff happens and people feel they can't express it in the situation they've been in, and they get home to their loved one or their children, and that's where it can come out in all sorts of ways. We do it all the time. We displace our anger, and that, I believe, is the sin. Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Work out what's going on. What is it you're angry about? And there'll be layers to it. If we let the sun go down on our anger, there's a layer of resentment that can come in because you don't deal with your anger. It doesn't just go away. It sits there and it boils down deep. And then you can lose track of what it was actually about and it just becomes this kind of sense of angry energy and then someone can do something that somewhere in the deeper recesses of your memory was associated with the thing that and all this anger can come out as really not appropriate to the situation. This is a very common human experience. Paul says, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Work out what's going on there. What made you angry? What was it about it that made you angry? Is there some justice in it? Is there truth in it? What's going on? What's the intent that's been towards you? What's your reaction to that intent? Now that's, that can be quite tricky stuff to do but if we don't do it then we don't understand ourselves and we don't understand our anger. How legitimate is your anger in this circumstance? Maybe you're a bit touchy because of something else and you're feeling anger but really that's not quite legitimate in this particular situation. Sometimes we get angry with ourselves because we don't behave up to our own ideals or we didn't do the thing that we thought was best at the time and we walk away and we get angry with ourselves and then that anger gets displaced and we get, you know, someone comes and says, how are you? And you bite their head off because you're so angry with yourself. Sometimes we don't have the courage to address the person who really the anger should be addressed to and then that's easy to put it off to someone else because it has to go somewhere. 
There's even a, a thesis by a guy named René Girard, he's one of my favourite guys, so you'll hear me mention it from time to time, that this was the beginnings of sacrificial religion, that we had anger that we didn't know what to do with, so it had to go somewhere, so we found a way to sacrifice something, to displace our anger. So the whole thrust of what Paul is saying is truth, so speak truth to one another, learn to deal with your anger because that's going to come and the whole direction of this is so that we can build one another up. It's about edification, building one another up and he breaks that down into the things that you do, the things that you say and ultimately the whole direction of giving yourself to the other. It's James who talks about the fact that if you just say to your brother, you know, be blessed, be warm, be well fed, but they're hungry and cold and you don't give them food and a blanket, then that's a completely empty thing to do. What we do is very, very important. Uh, Sometimes the way we act is the truly eloquent thing. Um, I'm sure all of you know of Mother Teresa and um, you probably know of the good works that she's done and how many lives she touched and changed and how she was a pinnacle of grace in a very difficult situation in Kolkata for many years. I wonder how many of you know any of the things she ever said. She was so eloquent. She needed so few words. Her life spoke powerfully and I still find that a convicting thing to think about and I don't think I know many of her words at all but her life was so eloquent. And yet words are also very, very important to us. This is one of the things that kind of separates us from the animals. We use language and we use language to create meaning or to understand things and that has a huge impact on our lives. We, we paint pictures with words. We describe ourselves with words. We describe a situation with words. And uh, this is how we kind of do meaning. In fact, I have a friend who's going through a particularly challenging set of personal circumstances at the moment and I really didn't know how I could help him. And he, he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, it really helps when people say that I don't deserve this. He just had a thing about feeling how difficult his life was at the moment and he just needed people to say words to him, you don't deserve this, just to help the meaning of it be something that he could carry because if he deserved it, he was crushed. But if he didn't deserve it, he could bear up underneath it. So the power of words... And we see that. I mean, we see it in the creation narrative where it's with words that God creates the heavens and the earth. I don't know how you understand that or whether we can possibly understand it, but to appreciate the creative power of words. We do create universes with our words. They can be lovely universes or they can be not so lovely depending on the words that we choose. Ultimately, for Paul, this is about loving just as Christ loved. And 
the unique thing perhaps about the, the Christ love is this complete self-giving. In a sense, that's what forgiveness is. When we forgive someone, it's as though there's a part of us that we give away. The grudge, the, the debt, the thing that we held against them. And it's not taken away from us because no one can make you forgive. It has to be something that you decide to do because you want to do it. When we forgive, we decide that this thing that I'm holding, this resentment or debt in some way, is actually blocking the relationship with the person who I'm holding it against. And I decide to let it go. In fact, I give it to them. I say, you don't owe it to me? There you go. That's how God has loved us in Christ. The dead is gone. You are forgiven. This thing that was between us, it's gone. It's a whole different way of doing life. It, it really, this is the most counter to the culture thing and it's counter to our intuit, intuition as well because we're so accustomed to accounting for everything and accounting for things is important. We need to know what's going on and we have ledgers and it's very reciprocal and it's very, you owe me this and I owe you that and this kind of thing. And then forgiveness disrupts that. You do it because you want to. You do it because you want good relationships. You, you do it because the person is more important than the debt. The other is more important than the thing they might owe you or that you have against them. And if you travel for any length of time with any person, whether it's your partner or your children or your friends, you need to learn about forgiveness because they will do stuff, as indeed you will do stuff, that there is no making up for. There is no way to settle that ledger. And if you want the relationship to be good, you must be able to offer and, equally difficultly, receive forgiveness. Because that's a challenge for some of us too. We don't want to receive forgiveness. We want to make it good on our terms. But often times we can't. We can't even know what the terms would be because it's in the heart of the other and they forgive and we have to receive that and allow it to become a reality in our relationship. So self-giving is not about giving because you're obliged to. It's not about giving because you have to or out of guilt or out of anything else. It's about the desire to give yourself for the benefit of the relationship, for the benefit of the other and how you can journey together. This is of the nature of God's love for us. This is how we build each other. And you know when you're in a moment like that when someone gives himself to you and you feel the edification, you feel the building of yourself, your spirit, your, your sense of well-being on account of that. This is how we imitate God. This is how we build the body of Christ and enter deeply into the kingdom.
Shall we pray? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we wouldn't really understand these things except that you have modelled them for us. In the way you spoke with people, in the way you acted and in the way that you chose not to act at times, in the ways that you made yourself vulnerable and in the ways that you were so strong and in the way that you knowingly gave yourself even unto death on a cross. We thank you that in this way you have shown us the love of God and you bid us to follow you. Help us to be people of truth who understand our anger and deal with that maturely so that we can give ourselves to one another and build each other up in the love of Christ. Amen.